I think this is the first time since the Second World War that we have a war that is so clearly defined between good and evil. I think it would be very, very unwise to imagine that the overthrow of Vladimir Putin will lead the planet into a new age of peace, prosperity and contentment. I don't think that it's wise for major nations to pour money into conflict. I think that conflict is horrific. I think that anybody who's seen it knows that war genuinely is hell, and the last thing you want to do is prolong it and to deepen it. The other thing about war, of course, is it has a terrible propensity to spread, as people found in 1914, uh, that what had started as, uh, as a, what appeared to be a minor conflict in the Balkans eventually engulfed most of the world. So we have to be very careful about this. Uh, it's, it's so, so I would say that if the West has efforts to make, if major outside nations have efforts they wish to make in Ukraine, there are two things they need to think of. The first is to try as hard as they can to bring war to an end on an equitable and negotiated basis. The second is, if they've really got so much money to spend on Ukraine, they should make a much greater effort to try and turn it into the civilized, advanced society which it ought to be and has not become in the... 32-odd years since it became independent. Peter, I agree with an awful lot of what you say. I probably have not seen as much war as you have, but what I would say about Ukraine, every other war in my lifetime, and I'm 60, I have read about in history books or I have seen on the news channels. This is the first war that has become really important to me because I have people who are on the front line, I have people who are diplomats, and I have, on a weekly basis, I get told about either friends or friends of friends who have died. So it's a, it's a war that I feel very viscerally. And unfortunately, while I wish there was a negotiated end to this, um, I always think, and this was something which Ed Lucas said, but actually I believe the first man to say it was a good friend of mine, Oleksiy Mikheyev, and he is now the ambassador to Berlin. And Oleksiy said to me, about this time last year, if Russia stops fighting, there will be no war. If Ukraine stops fighting, there will be no Ukraine. And, you know, by their words, Putin and his regime have made it very, very clear that they do not believe Ukraine has a right to exist as an independent nation. And I believe that the only way they are persecuting, which by all five tests of the United Nations Charter on Genocide passed the genocide test, I do not believe that Putin will stop in Ukraine until he is stopped. But the odd thing about that is that Putin has been stopped. The Russian army has barely advanced since the beginning of its lawless, wrong and stupid invasion, in case anybody is in any doubt about my opinion of it, uh, has barely advanced since the early weeks of that. It holds, I think, what, 17% of Ukrainian territory and has had to hand over quite a lot of that because it's lost in combat or it's found parts such as Kherson untenable. So the idea that this, this is some kind of struggle where if Ukraine stops fighting, Ukraine will cease to exist, seems to me to be fanciful, especially given that Ukraine has the backing of the United States, which would not let that happen. Uh, the United States also has enormous influence over Ukraine and can determine whenever it wishes to uh, whether it wants to continue supporting Ukraine at current levels or to do more. I, I think it's, it's just mistaken 
to claim that there is no negotiation possible or likely. Even the Prime Minister of this country, Rishi Sunak, said uh, at the end of last week that it will end at the negotiating table. He got criticized for it, but he was only stating the truth. There will have to be negotiation. Would you want to be one of the many people who will die or be maimed for life or bereaved in the period between now and that negotiation, which will eventually inevitably take place? What would be the point of that? No, I wouldn't like to be one of those people, but I will leave that choice up to Ukrainians. And you know, the the most recent research that I, that I saw, 89% of Ukrainians, this was research carried out for the Munich Security Conference, um, have said that they would they would continue fighting even if Russia was to use nuclear weapons. They have also have also indicated very very strongly that they see victory as going back to 1991 borders. Now the point is, I mentioned the fact that this is genocidal. The world, about this time, about a month later than this last year, when the battle for Kyiv was won, and towns like Bucha and Hostomel and Irpin were, were liberated, we found out the absolutely terrible atrocities which were carried out. Now, I've got to say, Peter, what my friends are telling me, and my friends in, you know, senior friends in the Ukrainian government, every single settlement that the Ukrainian forces liberate, they find atrocities rapes, not just of women, of children and babies, torture, murders, mass graves. They find this to the exact same extent as it was found in Bucha. So to freeze the war at the moment, and yes, Russia probably holds in the region, you said 17, between 17 and 20%. Ukraine has probably liberated or taken back nearly half of the territory which Russia took forward. But my point is this. This is in danger of becoming a protracted or a frozen war. That plays into Russia's hands. Russia is a country three and a half times the size by population as Ukraine, but also Russia clearly has a very, very different attitude to their own people. Just as Putin has no compunction with murdering tens of thousands of innocent civilians, he's done it in Aleppo and he's done it in Grozny and he has done it in Mariupol. He also has absolutely no compunction in feeding tens and thousands of his own people into the meat grinder. So a protracted or a frozen war is not is in Russia's favor. It is not in Ukraine's favor. Uh, you treat the war as if it is a war between Russia and Ukraine without any serious outside input. But you and I know perfectly well that the United States is making enormous outside input and that it's not, a, it's, it's, if, it, if it were to be a prolonged war, then the, the competition between the economies of the United States and that of Russia is, uh, simply is, is, doesn't exist. Uh, the United States has immensely more uh, economic and military resources than Russia does. And if it is a long war, then, then, then it doesn't benefit Russia. I, I'm trying to be dispassionate. My general view about war is that, uh, is that atrocities come with it. If you don't like atrocities, then don't start wars. And if you don't like atrocities and wars have begun, then work as hard as you can to bring them to an end. What seems to me to be missing from much of the discourse about Ukraine is any serious attempt by people in the West to work out ways of bringing it to an end. There seems to be, uh, at the very least, a determination to keep it going. I'm not going to attribute motives to this. I'm simply saying it is the case. I'm saying that my, my reasons for saying this are simple. Why do we have, why do you have, why do I have 
opinions about foreign wars. We have opinions about foreign wars for moral reasons. In my case, the, the simple Christian reason that, the, that, that, that peace is something which, which Christianity seeks to have and, and seeks to make where it doesn't exist. We pray for peace every week and we should therefore pursue it, especially if we live in free countries where we can argue for it. Uh, secondly, I have to ask, as a, as a British citizen, what is the interest of my own country in its engagement in this war? And I think that Britain's engagement in this war is doing it harm and certainly no good. And I think we would, uh, we would do ourselves and indeed Europe a great deal more good if we pursued the cause of a negotiated peace, one which was pursued for many years in the era between 2014 and 2022, now forgotten and largely ignored, in which many of the problems of, uh, that are going on now were engendered. Well, first, um, I do recognize the fact that America and Britain and other allies are involved. Indeed, had it not been for the involvement of Britain and America, Ukraine would no longer be standing. I think that's, that's quite clear. And what, I and what I fear would be the outcome would be the genocidal um, end, which Putin made very, very clear was his intention to wipe out Ukraine and Ukrainian identity. I would absolutely favor a negotiated settlement but I, I think it is the Ukrainian people who must be allowed to choose what the terms of that settlement are. And I don't think we have the right to tell them that they have to give up land and to let th tens of thousands of their own people to the sort of barbarism that we have seen over and over again they have been subjected to. No one here is suggesting uh, any, any such policy. I, I'm not saying Ukraine should give up land. Uh, my own preference is for a return to the original 1991 borders, which is, has to be the basis for, for any settlement. If Ukraine in negotiation with Russia decides that it wants some other arrangements, that's Ukraine's affair, not mine. But it, it, you've made two contradictory points here. You've said that Ukraine uh, would probably not exist if it hadn't been for the support of the United States and the Western Allies. And yet you said that the United States and its Western Allies should have no role whatsoever in any settlement resulting from the fact that they've saved Ukraine from being overwhelmed by Russian invasion. I think Peter, that's sorry, I, th I, don't I, think think, that's I don't think I said that the United States and our allies should have no role in oh, any, I, I, in I, any I, settlement. And if I that did, is the impression I got. Well, no, that is not, that is okay, certainly, right. and I apologize if I said that, but that is certainly not what I meant. I think, you know, I have been very, very clear, and in fact, I played a very, very small part in the West support for Ukraine between 2016 and 2018, when I was out there as an advisor to the foreign minister, helping them to try and develop their government communication. It is absolutely clear to me that Ukraine needs the West's support on both a diplomatic and a financial and humanitarian, but also at the moment on a military level. Now, where you and I, I think, agree is that we would like to see a settlement that puts Ukraine back to the international borders of 1991. Certainly all of my Ukrainian friends would accept that, and that is what they're fighting for. What needs to come after that is obviously some sort of a settlement which would guarantee the security of Ukraine going forward. The issue is, how do we get there? And if you suggest that we can somehow magically if we stop supporting Ukraine with weapons, and if we somehow diplomatically put pressure on Russia that Russia will stop. I've got to tell you, Peter, and what all my friends tell me, right up the top of the Ukrainian government, Russia will not stop until they are stopped. And one thing that I learned that everybody who has dealt with Russia will tell you, you've heard before, is Russia 
respects only power and strength. They see weakness as a red rag. So I don't see how we get from where we are at the moment, where nearly 20% of Ukraine is under occupation, and the people in those occupied areas suffering from that, how is it, would you please tell me, that we get back to the 1991 borders, where we can then sit down with the Russians and the Ukrainians and agree away from well, you won't if you get if you if you get some sort of armistice while peace terms are discussed, then you obviously you're not going to get uh, anybody withdrawing from the positions which they hold. But one vital point, and I've made it before and I'll say it again because it seems, to, it seems not to be recognized very much in this discussion, Russia has been in a very important way defeated. Its military threat, its conventional military threat to the rest of Europe has been shown to be a paper tiger. It simply is not the terrifying military power which the new Cold War merchants told us for many years it was. It tried to invade Ukraine and it failed and it continues to fail. And we're now in a position where Russia is discovering that it remains true, as it was between 1914 and 1918, that the capture of ground, which is defended by, uh, with any vigor by the other side, is incredibly difficult and costly in lives and material. And they're not doing very well at it. And I see at the moment, I'm not a military expert. I, I barely know how to fire a gun. But I think at the moment, it's fairly clear to, 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 to see to, to anybody that Russia is stalled. And it's not going to do very much better in its, in, its, in its military terms. It may even lose further over the over the months and years to come if the you know, if, if things continue to go as they are. Why do we need to go through any more of this? We live, you and I live, in prosperous, free, democratic countries in which we're free to influence the activities of our government. Currently, in this country and in many other Western countries, there's a kind of uh, almost uh, cult of Ukraine, Slav Ukraini, Ukraine is wonderful, Ukraine flags fly from government buildings as if, as if a fervent support for the Ukraine government and everything about it is a necessary part of our lives. I think a more nuanced view of this war is essential in the Western democracies. I think you will find actually that this will begin in the United States more than it will begin here. And the United States cannot be guaranteed, as the people of Vietnam well know, uh, to stick around in fights which it isn't ultimately winning. So eventually, as I keep saying, there is going to have to be some sort of negotiation. It is within our power as individuals in our societies to argue for that negotiation instead of a, um, how should I put it, an almost, an almost messianic uh, desire for continued war and a, a portrayal of the conflict as being a, a, as, as being a battle between pure good and pure evil of a kind in which, of course, it, because this is a very important part of what I'm saying. If you believe that this is Gandalf, versus the orcs. If you think that it is really pure evil versus pure good, you can't believe in negotiation. You have to understand that there is, that there is, there is fault on both sides and good on both sides to begin to move towards negotiation. Peter, can I come in at that point? Please. I completely reject the both sides argument here. I have said before many times, and I will say again now, I think this is the first time since the Second World War that we have a war that is so clearly defined between good and evil. Now, if I can go back to your point about the fact that the war has clearly bogged down at the moment. What I am persuaded and convinced of is that at this stage, Putin would like negotiations, Putin would like a frozen war, Putin would like to hold as much of what he has taken as he possibly can, 
because it is very, very clear that Putin and his colleagues are playing a long game. You know that Putin made a, a speech the end of last summer where he effectively compared himself to Peter the Great, and he set out to prepare the Russian people for a very, very long war, which would ultimately regain and put back in place what he sees as Russia's rightful lands. Ukraine is a large part. Ukraine is, in fact, the largest part yeah, of that. There is no Russian empire without not. Ukraine. He's so, so, he's so, so again, but, but Peter, but what I have to say, so what I have to say to you, sorry, if I can just finish, sure. what I have to say to you is, you know, you and I, we agree violently on one thing, 1991 borders. How do we get back? How do what we disagree on? How do we get back from where we are now to 1991 borders? Because Putin, you seem to be suggesting that if the United States brings all its diplomatic um, weight to bear, that, that, that Putin or Russia can be persuaded. I'm saying that they cannot. They will only be persuaded by force. And that is why, ultimately, I say we not only need to keep supporting Ukraine, we need to do a lot more. We need to give them the jets, which we are not giving them. We need to give them the attackums, the long-range artillery, which we're not giving them, to enable them. And we need to actually realize that it is moving on from what you said, that, that the Russian army has been seen to be some, something of a paper tiger, that Russia can actually be defeated on Ukrainian soil. So you, I, one point I was hoping to make very briefly earlier on, that was all I wanted to say, was that it's quite plain that Putin is not Peter the Great, uh, whatever fantasies he may have had about that. Uh, but but the, other, the other thing is what you appear to be saying then is that you actually want to carry on with this war until the actual military defeat of the Russian Federation in the, on, on, in the field. I want to carry on this war for as long as the Ukrainian people want to carry on no, this no, war. That, I'm, no, that, that, no, that, that's no, no. That's, that's honestly, Cormac, that's an evasion. It's I'm not, not an I'm not asking you, what, I'm asking you to, to, to rely on what the Ukrainian people, who are, in any case, hard to characterize because they vary greatly in their opinions, especially depending on where they live. Uh, if we accept the 1991 borders... But in respect, Peter, in according to all recent polls, we are talking about 90% long you of had, the Ukrainian yeah, people yeah, on, you are a, in agreement. You, you had a really long go, and I, 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 there's a lot of points I want to cram into this. You accept the 1991 borders. You accept the 1991 borders. You accept that many of the people who live in Ukraine have not been particularly happy with the way they've been governed uh, from Kiev and were treated extremely badly by the Kiev government. I don't from, necessarily from 20, expect from 20, that, no. from, 20, from 2014. Well, I think you have to because it's, it's demonstrable. That no, there is, I think this is a Kremlin myth that the Russian-speaking well, minority have been badly treated, what I have well, learned forgive me. I went to, I went Ukraine. to Ukraine in 2012 before all this got underway, and I went particularly to the... Uh, to, to the Donbass region, to, uh, to Donetsk itself, uh, to the Crimea as well. And I found a lot of Russian-speaking Ukrainian citizens who were extremely discontented with the way they were being treated. And I, I, I absolutely insist on the, on the truth of this. And these are included. If, you're, if, if we're talking about a return to the Ukraine of the 1991 borders, these are citizens of Ukraine who need to have their problems and their, their considerations uh, taken seriously instead of instead of dismissed. So the people of Ukraine cannot be simply used as a monolith for one group of people who all have the same opinion. What you appear to me to be saying is that you wish to see the Russian Federation defeated 
in the battlefield and, uh, and actually militarily defeated in this war. That is, the, that is the conclusion which you desire. If I'm not right about that, don't tell me that it's, that, that, that it's the Ukrainian people who are dictating this view of yours. You have your own view. If, you're, if, if that's not your view, tell me what your view is. Peter, as that is how e you, as Peter. To, as to how you think. Peter, the that war, is exactly as to how my you view. Think the war, right. So in that, you, what do you think would happen in Moscow if the Russian Federation was defeated in war? Um, I am not quite sure. I think that um, I, I, I think the current regime could start to fall apart. I agree. We with are you. already we are already seeing we are already seeing um, signs of um, of cracks and tensions. For example, between Putin and Prigozhin, who um, who runs the um, who runs the um, who runs the Wagner Group. But I agree with you. We, we, you might well see that. Uh, do you think that the result would be a, a government in Moscow which would be more sympathetic uh, towards Ukraine, more willing to treat with the West, uh, less nationalistic, uh, more democratic, more concerned for individual freedom in Russia, or less so? Do you think that Putin would be replaced by somebody better than him or somebody worse than him? I think there was a possibility that Putin could be replaced by somebody worse than him. Well, then that, that's I've one, been one made of aware of that. that, that is but one, therefore, that is when I told principal reason but when why I talk, we should seek for a negotiated peace rather than push for the for, for the for the total defeat, which you seek. Imagine uh, the world's second largest nuclear power under the control of somebody worse than Vladimir Putin, and you declared this to be your, effectively your objective. Wars. The whole lesson of history is that wars deepen and thicken and spread and worse. Nobody thought uh, when, when, the, when the, 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 the initial Serbian war broke out in, in, in 1914, nobody thought it would end up with, with, with German bombers strafing the embankment in London. Peter, but it did. Yeah, and the, and here, this is the yeah. problem with war. It spreads. And what you're saying is that you think that we should pursue a policy which would lead to a Russian defeat, which could not merely destabilize the whole of Europe, but could destabilize the planet in ways which, to me, are utterly well, terrifying. Well, I simply Is don't accept responsible? I would refer to the, it was the president, of, um, um, the president of Poland before Christmas that said the fastest way to a third world war is to allowing you, Russia to have victory in Ukraine. And it was, um, it was only less than a week later, the former head of the CIA, General Petraeus, said something very, very similar. So yes, Peter, we're both, we would both love to see peace, but I will, I will finish off at one point. There is nobody wants peace more than the Ukrainian people who by all recent polls, over 90% of them are determined to keep, are determined to keep fighting because as a former president who I befriended, Viktor Yushchenko said again around this time last year, he said, this war will only end when the last Russian soldier leaves Ukrainian soil or is killed or the last Ukrainian dies. You say you don't care what happens in Moscow. I think you may come to regret very, very greatly saying that. People often don't care what happens in the capitals of defeated countries. And then they find that those defeated countries uh, later on resent what has been done to them. And the problem which you think you've solved uh, with the Carthaginian peace is not solved at all. And I think it would be very, very unwise to imagine uh, that the overthrow of Vladimir Putin will lead the planet into a new age of peace, prosperity and contentment.